This morning we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way, through great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children. Open wide your hearts also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Lori Keeler, in her book, Gardening Mercies, that we've been drawing from for this sermon series, tells of a time when she was invited to join a Bible study by a friend. But when she got there, she realized she did not know most of the people in the study. She said there was one woman that particularly caught her eye. She said she was stunningly, strikingly beautiful. She said she had this blonde hair that just was radiant and seemed to fall naturally just around her face and kind of frame her clean and clear porcelain white complexion. She said she was fit as well, not too skinny, but no visible signs of fat. She said she would choose outfits made of cashmere and the like and always seemed to have chosen just the right color to illuminate her beauty. She says, plus she was kind. She said, the truth is, every time I was around her, I felt unattractive. In comparison to her, I sort of felt unworthy. She said, the truth is, the plain truth is, I was jealous. Because I thought she had it all. She seemed to be perfect in every way. And I felt like I just did not measure up. But then she says at the end of one of the Bible studies, during the prayer concern time, this woman began to share a little bit about her life. And she told the rest of the group that her brother was in prison after years of making her be involved in an incestual relationship. 
Lori says she was stunned. And all of a sudden, she said, I thought to myself, I would not trade my life for hers for anything. She said it helped her realize that there are no perfect people. That when we see someone that we think has the perfect outfit or the perfect marriage or perfect children or the perfect job or the perfect life, we need to remember that's not the case. I put a quote in your outline from her book. She says it this way. We need to remember this when we look at another's perfect life. That just isn't a reality concerning the human condition oh she says she still sees people and her first impulse is oh they look so perfect they seem to have it all but then she tries to remember that she knows that is not the case and not to get caught up in that comparison because none of us have a perfect life not even saint paul he makes it abundantly clear as he's writing to these early Christians at Corinth is that he doesn't have a perfect life and they don't have a perfect life. And in fact, their relationship, although born out of love, is troubled, is conflicted. There are some problems. Everybody has trouble in human relationships despite outward appearances. Paul has some insights in this passage from 1 Corinthians here in the 6th chapter, though, that can help us deal with troubled relationships, can help us forge a path when we are struggling with a broken or a troubled or a conflicted relationship. Let's look at the passage. The first thing he says right off the bat as we work together. I found that interesting because we know he's in a bit of a battle with these Corinthians and yet he starts with the phrase as we work together others might have started with now that we're in a fight but not Paul as we were he assumes that they're going to work together but he doesn't assume that because he loves the way they've been treating him or he likes their behavior or because it's easy it is because of the grace of God. Paul believes the grace of God is bigger than any trouble in any human relationship. Listen to that first verse. As we work together with him or with God, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. Not to accept the grace of God in vain. That is, if we are a Christian and we said we are a follower of Christ and we have been glad to receive the grace of God in our own lives but fail to allow that grace to bridge the differences we have with other people in our life, then Paul says we've accepted it in vain. If we're not allowing the power and the grace of God to work in us toward reconciliation, then we have accepted the grace of God in vain. 
our greeting today in our bulletin, the one we use as we open our communion service, speaks to this same kind of thing. It's a quote from the first letter of John. Dr. Tankersley read it to us earlier. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. First John emphasizes we love because God first loved us. But that the love doesn't come just for us, but that we might live through Him, that it might manifest itself in our relationships and in the world because we have experienced that we can share it with others. Paul is saying if you've accepted the grace of God, but it's not at the center of your life, then you've accepted it in vain. If you're not allowing it to work for good in your life, toward reconciliation in your relationships, then you have accepted it in vain. So the first insight is that we do best when we use God's grace as the foundation for all of our relationships. Do you extend the grace of God you've received to those with whom you struggle or fight? Do you think God is working in their lives just as you believe God is working in your life for good? Have you extended the grace you've received to others even if you're in a troubled relationship? Paul says that's the place to start, remembering the grace of God. The second insight is that now is the time to act. In verse 2, he begins to talk about the time and the acceptable time. And he says, see, now, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation, exclamation point. Paul has a sense of urgency. Oh, it's wonderful to receive this grace, but we have to act on it. Now is the time. No reason to wait. Act now on the grace. Extend the grace of God to one another even now. He goes on in verse 3, we're putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. He's saying, let's go. Let's quit looking for fault. Let's clear the obstacles. Let's let go of the blocks. Because of the grace of God, we can work together and we can do so right now. But that's a big step for some of us. How often... Have you found yourself in a conflicted situation and rather than looking for reconciliation, you look for revenge? You think, this person has really hurt me. Hmm, I wonder how I can kind of get back at them. How can I hurt them? How can I make them sweat? How can I make them look bad? Oh, they've tried to do that to me. I'll show them. It's human nature often. It's our first reaction often. I've had those thoughts. Have you? I know the way to stop this. I'll squish them. Paul says, oh no. That's not the way for Christians to act. That's not the best way forward. That's no way to act 
if you have received the grace of God into your life and have made it the center of who you are, you have to act now and extend that grace to others. The third insight that I think we can find in this passage is when Paul says we are servants of God so we can endure these hardships. It's in verse 4. We are servants of God. Now Paul kind of goes on a rant right after that about all the ways he's tolerated this difficult life of his. He kind of has a tendency to do that from time to time and tell others how bad he's had it. And apparently he had it pretty rough. But that's not really the point here. The point that he's trying to make is that the best attitude to take, even in difficult times, is to think of yourself as a servant of God. Early in the week, it was raining a lot here and in Oklahoma City. My daughter, Hope, goes to Oklahoma City University. She was walking to class in a pouring down rain thunderstorm earlier in the week, and I got a text from her, and she quoted a childhood book. We had lots of books in our house when our girls were growing up. Mary, my wife, and I read to them every night. You know, you have this whole stack, but some become favorites. They often go back to the same ones, right? Night after night. Let's read that one again. One of our favorites became, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Do you know that book? It's a wonderful story. It tells about a family that's getting ready to go out on a hike or on a bear hunt, but they run into all kinds of obstacles. High grass, rushing streams, muddy bogs. But there's a refrain every time they run into an obstacle, and that's what Hope texts me. I've put it in your outline. It says this, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you can't go around it, you've got to go through it. That's the same thing Paul is saying. Sometimes we find ourselves in life facing an obstacle that is right in front of us. And you can't go over it, and you can't go under it, and you can't go around it. You've got to go through it. And if you're in a situation like that, Paul says the best way to get through it is to think of yourself as a servant of Christ. To take this attitude that God can lead you through it. Go back to the foundation, the grace of God that's been offered to you in Christ Jesus. And remember that and say, oh yes, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant of God. I won't necessarily endure this because I like it or because it's easy, but because I'm here to serve God and extend God's grace. But if we stop there, it can be almost like a self-help movement or as if Paul is saying, just endure the brokenness, just endure the misery. But that's really not what Paul's saying. He goes on. There's a fourth insight here. The fourth insight is that the power of God will help you. The power of God will help you through. You're not left alone to endure the pain and the misery and the hardship. Paul wants to remind you he starts with the grace of God and he ends with the power of God. He actually talks about it twice in this passage. In verse 2, he talks about how God has helped people in the past. 
God has helped those who have called on him before. But then he moves, and by the time he gets to verse 7, he's saying, I've experienced that too. The power of God has helped me in my own life. In verse 4 and 5, he tells you in that rant section, sort of all the things he's endured, he says that the power of God has been with him in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. There's a paradox within the gospel when we say that Christ has suffered for us all, sometimes we think that means we won't have to suffer. But that's not really the case, is it? We have all had hardships. We've all had trouble. We've all had to suffer. The gospel promise is in the midst of any and all of those problems and those troubles that God is with you and God will get you through that the power of God will help you. You can kind of hear it at the end of this portion that we read as Paul begins to talk about what all has gone on in this relationship. The end of verse 8, he begins with this, we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet are well known as dying and see we are alive as punished and yet not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Even in the midst of being accused of being an imposter, apparently them saying, we don't really even know you, even though he's founded their community. In the midst of all the attacks, he says, but God can turn that around. God can see us through. It made me begin to think about the testimony throughout Scripture in terms of people who have talked about the power of God helping them through. I first thought about that psalm that says God is a very present help in trouble. It comes from Psalm 46. Listen to just the first part as that psalm opens. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble and then goes on and talks about all these different calamities but how God is always there to see us through then I thought of that psalm that's similar to that we often read at funerals it's Psalm 121 it talks similarly in terms of how God can be of help to us how God's power is present for us you'll recognize it I think it starts like this I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's the same story that Paul is telling in terms of his own life. And then I thought of Psalm 22. It's the one you remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross that he quotes. It starts like this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer him by night, but find no rest. And yet in the very next verse, verse 3, it begins to turn. The psalmist says, yet 
You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And it's a long psalm that goes on and talks about all kinds of trouble, but ends up saying that God is the sovereign one, that God is a great deliverer, and that God has always been there to help His people through. And in fact, it's been so great that even future generations will hear of this God that cares so much that He's always available to any one of us. That fourth insight is that the power of God is available to you to help you through any troubled relationship. Then after all the insights that Paul describes, the path I think he sort of lays out for Christians to follow in dealing with trouble and conflict, he does something surprising to me. Paul issues a radical challenge to those with whom he disputes and struggles. He says at the very end of this passage, our heart is open to you. Open wide your hearts. That may be one of the hardest things anyone can ever do. That once we've been in a conflict with someone, once somebody has hurt us and or attacked us, we feel like someone has messed up our life or broken our covenant. The natural tendency is to close our hearts, to protect ourselves from further harm. And certainly if the person is still attacking you and abusing you, that is a wise response. But Paul says... If both parties have received the grace of God and are ready to act on that and come with the attitude that I'm a servant of God, then God can help them reconcile. And in fact, God's power will help the reconciliation happen. Open wide your hearts. Trust in God. In the chapter just before this, Paul's talked about what it means to be a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. All these Sundays after Easter, we're talking about how we tend to the new creation that God is creating in us. Paul gives us a path as Christians of how we can deal with with troubled relationships and conflicts. But it's a very challenging path, I think. We're going to read a new prayer of confession in a few moments when we move on into our communion liturgy. I added it to the liturgy this week because I felt it really captured these ideas and insights that Paul has laid out for us in the text. Reads like this, holy and awesome God, we stand in your presence filled with regret for our many sins and failings. Though there is greatness in us and a deep longing for goodness, we have often denied our better selves and refused to hear your voice 
calling us to rise to our full height of our humanity. For there is weakness in us as well as strength. At times, we choose to walk in darkness, our vision obscured. We do not care to look within, and we're unwilling to look beyond at those who need our help. Oh God, we are too weak to walk unaided. Be with us as a strong and wise friend and teach us to walk by the light of your truth. We'll all have a few moments to think about that after we say that prayer together as we're coming to the altar, as we're waiting for others to receive Holy Communion. Let me invite you to offer up your relationships to God and open wide your hearts. Amen. Thanks be to God.